This week on the show, we have Mike DeTore. He's the mind behind Dueling Grounds Distillery and the flagship spirit Limpkin Pinch Bourbon. Uh, they've got a whole line of different products, so check them out and go ahead and grab something. Uh, the interview is only about an hour long, but Mark is the type of guy who's so engaging we could have easily gone another. Uh, we get into the business of distilling in Kentucky, how Dueling Grounds got its start, and some valuable insights into how he's able to juggle everything he's got going on. Enjoy. a month since uh, our last podcast. Ooh, uh, wow. It's uh, Matthew Clark, a.k.a. Lord Booty Sweat. And this is Jorge Cardenas, and we are here with Mark DeTore. Now, that's Mark with a C, by the way, y'all. Uh, founder and CEO of Dueling Grounds Distillery and Lincoln Pinch Bourbon right. Whiskey, yeah? Yeah, Lincoln so, Pinch. Lincoln Pinch. Yeah. Uh, based out of Franklin, Kentucky, Simpson County. Uh, check out their website, Instagram, and Facebook for all updates and latest happenings for the most exciting brand and modern spirits. Also... You couldn't do any time before seven because you all have an event every Sunday called the cocktail. What is yeah. that? Uh, it's a weekly cocktail party. We okay. get together from three to seven. Uh, there's no TVs. There's no distractions. It's a lot of locals. It's a lot of people who come in and then meet people. Uh, we've got a little outside uh, patio with uh, picnic tables and stuff, yeah. and it's just low key. And it's usually five or six specialty cocktails. It changes every week. That's always a different list. I saw y'all had a mocktail. We always have a mocktail. We always have one or two. Actually, I prefer the mocktail since I'm there for like five hours. It's not (laughs) a great idea to start diving into the product. Sounds like Uh, a place to be. It's a good good spot. It's a good hang. And um, we started out, it was kind of one crowd, and and we've still got this kind of steady crowd. But I've got, you know, some younger bartenders, and they're starting to bring in some people, and it's kind of becoming a nice hang. So... I've it's not. It's, a, it's the only place to really drink in Franklin, right? Uh, well, on a Sunday for sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we we've got the Brickyard, um, and we've got a couple of sports bars, you know, but we don't have anything kind of like what we're doing. Like, there's nobody that does. We actually embrace cocktail culture in that little town, okay. and we're all about like how to make them better, how to make them cool. We sit around and talk about cocktails during the week. If somebody finds something, we tear it out and give it to the other guys and kind of come up with stuff. So, um, it's always interesting yeah, yeah some but some better some are better than others you know it's like whatever uh but i and i'd like to say always a mocktail at least one so uh, i bartended gerard's tavern oh you got us over there yeah yeah we, we, we got you over there i said mm-hmm. guys look <laughs> talk to this guy um all right so we have a, a new series coming out called the living room um i guess we'll guys we'll, we'll give you all some more details later but keep your heads up for that uh, pretty excited for that first episodes what i liars uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, and favorably rate us on Twitter or, or on iTunes, Google Play, and then give our Instagram page a follow. So let's get into this, Mr. DeTore. Who, what, where? Uh, are you from Franklin? No. It's born in you, Cleveland. You, you have, I was about to say, you have no accent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, flat, for this area. Flat Midwest yeah, accent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mark with a C. Yeah. Are, are your parents like Eastern European or something? Yeah, right. Now, uh, I was born Mark with a K, last name Wiseman. <laughs> okay. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, my, trouble. yeah, exactly. And my mother was uh, divorced and separated very early yeah. and remarried. And he, she married uh, a guy named Frank DeTore. And I wanted to be Frank DeTore. Yeah. I wanted to like have that name. Because you have red hair, kind of. You, yeah, my mom you, said, no, you can't be Frank DeTore, but we'll let you put a C, change your K to a C. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good compromise. That is. That's so that's good. how it started. Um, how old were you? Uh, at that time? Oh, yeah. God, about eight. Okay. Yeah. Big change for eight. Oh, yeah, yeah, going from being this. My mom was like, I was like two or three when, I got to, when they got divorced. Or I was like two or three so when they got divorced. you grew up in Cleveland? Until uh, I was nine or ten years old. Then Rochester, New York. Um, that would have been a perfect name for New York. Frank Dottori. <laughs> Frank Dottori. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he was he was a Sicilian as a kid. So my mother is this olive, you know, skin Sicilian lady, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was Rochester, New York, and then um, downstate near New York City uh, called Putnam County, just above Westchester. And that was cool because that was like the 70s. And I yeah. kind of got, I had, you know, it was still that age where your parents kind of turned you loose. And so me and like packs of other 16 year olds and 15 year olds would go to New York City. 
yeah. in the 70s and kind of check things out, which was pretty eye-opening. And then D.C. and then uh, into the Nashville area in 85. So you've been, uh, did you go to university? Nope. Um, so from 85 on, you became kind of a local to that area. Uh, Franklin's only like really, what, 30 minutes? I moved into Nashville. I moved kind of working in and around Nashville in 85. I actually moved to Franklin in 96. So you've been in Franklin. I've been in Franklin longer than I've been anywhere else in my life. So what were you doing before uh, Dueling Grounds? Uh, I started yeah, right out of high school, and I had a very, and still have a very long career in the music business. Oh, wow. So I started off in the D.C. bar business and uh, kind of was working with bands in that world. And then I came to Nashville in 85. A guy named Eddie Rabbit brought me to town, if you, remember, if you ever heard of Eddie Rabbit. Um, and then I went to work uh, for George Strait after that and eventually landed with a lady named Kathy Matea, who I still work with to this day. And um, we've been, uh, you know, just kind of making it happen. So I kind of went from that to um, uh, this. I still have my foot in it. I still, yeah. I'm not, I, at one point I was like, you know, full time every day going to Nashville. I had a second place down in Nashville. I was always down there. I was always working the work, work in the world. But that, um, I tell people that there's no, uh, there's no planned retirement in the music yeah, business. Yeah. You just get a phone call. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and you're never really with anybody very long. You know, you might be with somebody, uh-huh. You know, three, four, five years is a long tenure in yeah. any one job. So what did you do for them? I started off on the tech side, um, helping build lighting systems, sound systems, stages, all that kind of stuff. And then mid-early 90s, I started getting into the management side. Okay. I worked for a management company, and then I've been a, manag- I've been a manager since about 1994, 95, and I've had pretty good run. Yeah, of Brad and Zach on. The yep. Website. Yeah, I was working with those guys for a little bit, and still try to supply. Kind of was playing an advisory role with them. Yeah. And uh, I love seeing the way that's developed. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be good. It's, it's neat. It's gonna be good. It's fun. So I, think, are, I think that thing's gonna blow up. Early. So you're a huge country music guy, or are you just? Uh, I always. You no, know, I I came to Nashville. I mean, I was working. In, I was like a heavy metal head. You look yes. like a Fugazi guy. If yeah, I was. Guy. I was more into like you know heavy metal and stuff when I was. At that age, and of course, I came out of DC, which yeah. had a lot of really good stuff. And um, uh, but it was, you know, it was just it was a paycheck. You know, it was like yeah. I came down to Nashville, and what I was really impressed about was how professional it was. You know, it was just run really well. You networked. With the you Nashville keep, music scene. Yeah, you could keep a job. You know, as long as you were, you were, if you were competent, you kept working. If you were incompetent, you got kicked out. Yeah. Whereas in the bar scene, if you were an idiot, it didn't matter. Somehow or another, you kept working. So, um, <laughs> so I did all that, and then. Um, uh, yeah, kind of transferred over in the 90s to more of the management side. Okay, so uh, forgive my ignorance, but uh, you, a distillery, it takes time to create a product, Yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, how did Dueling Grounds Distillery start, and was there this plan for always, like, yeah, what, a few years before you can really get to see some returns, yeah? Yeah. I think I had a pretty uh, solid roadmap in my mind. Of course, there's been twists and turns along the way. Um, as to how this was going to go, and uh, I was really, really fortunate. I had a couple of good clients. I had I had a client that I was doing really, really well with, and then I had another one that was sort of coming up. And the guy that I was doing really well with, every time I, you know, we'd have a good tour or we'd hit a lick, I'd take a check and I'd buy a piece of gear, and I'd put it in the back. And so I just bought everything as I went, didn't finance anything, and the building that I'm in right now is kind of functioning as my office because yeah, yeah. I could I could justify it in the sense that I could go to Nashville and spend twice that for half the size yeah. or I just could do it in Franklin and we had all this space so half of the building was our country music management company and the other half was a warehouse for uh, distillery equipment and we started bulking this stuff up and then as one uh, as, as it happens in a business is like one thing faded the other thing came along and that turned really big and then we um, uh, and then when that was done, it was kind of time. It was like I had built, I had built the environment, I had built the buildings, had everything set up, and that was, you know, really kind of got to be pretty much full time starting last year, early last year. And I still, I should say, I still manage Kathy. So yeah. yeah. Probably so, with her forever. Maddie, have you noticed how? Uh, I guess it's a, a hallmark of working in the business and those people being famous. You're very discreet. You're, you haven't yeah. really used proper nouns. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. A lot of pronouns, <laughs> like he, she, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is very cool. Yeah. All right. So uh, essentially, Dueling Grounds Distillery is a full service what? Well, there's probably three or four business models at once okay. all working. Yeah, because so, yeah, it's the only way you can really do it, if you, yeah. especially in a small town like Franklin. So you got 
Uh, you got the gift shop side of things, right? People come in, they're tourists, they take a tour, they get a tasting, they buy T-shirts, they, you know, maybe take a bottle and go home. Yeah. That's, that's one phase. Then we've got the phase of the business, which is kind of the hospitality side, uh, which is an extension of that. But, you know, we'll do like the Sunday cocktail yeah. thing a couple times a year with some sort of special event or something like that. And uh, that's a whole that's a whole nother thing. And um, uh, the retail drinks side of it, I guess yeah. you could say. And then the third piece of the wheel is uh, selling distributed products. So, you know, in each case. Is that the it, most lucrative? Well, it kind of depends. It's like. I get I make the most money on a bottle when I sell it by the drink, but I only sell oh, a few bottles yeah. by the drink, right? Yeah, yeah. I make the next is by people who come into the store and buy it from me because yeah, I don't yeah. have to pay a distributor. Yeah, yeah. The third is I'll pay a distributor, but they ship out in much more quantity. So yeah, yeah. instead of ship, selling one or two bottles at a time, I'm selling, you know, sixty cases. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, I think that the goal for the company is to have you know a balance of all three, but really build that distribution side. We only started dist distributing out into the world in March. So you had enough revenue to sustain justifying being open with the distillery tours and the retail side. You know, the thing about the beer thing, the answer to that is yes and no. Okay. Uh, yes, the the being open sort of paid for itself and kind of kept the uh, cocktail lounge going and that kind of stuff. We only had a couple of products to sell at that time. But what we were doing for the most part is making barrels and putting them away. And uh, that's really where it's at. That's really where it's at. Yeah. It's like, you know, what it costs you this much to put it away. And then once it's put away in so many years, it's going to be worth this much. And so that's where you got to keep your head. It's like, I'm coming out of pocket all the time. But yeah. what you're doing is you're putting away product. And we're still sort of in that world because we're growing our production each year. Um, but in a but I've kind of in my projections in a couple of years that'll start to level off. And the first year, first real year that we did any kind so of production. So y'all started in what 2014? Yeah, I, I always get my chronology screwed up. So we got my we got my license in 2013. Kind of screwed around with things in 2014. Started making small amounts. I think the very first year we did two. 25 gallon barrels, you know, which was that. 25 gallon is the standard we see like on the commercials. No, those they're half those are half size. Okay. Um, and then those barrels will like so those barrels just turned are starting to turn four years old now, so that would be twenty fifteen, right? Yeah. yeah. So then the next year we had the big still up and running and we did like twenty barrels total. Big fifty three gallon barrels. Last year we did fifty five or so. This year we'll do a hundred to hundred and twenty. Ultimately, my goal is to get to 1,200 barrels a year. That's that's kind of much my top goal, which is still Do you have the space right now to... to I, can, I don't have the space. I don't have the equipment. Oh, okay. Right now, I'm kind of maxing out my equipment. I'm, I'm at the point where it took us three years to get to the point where we're really maxing the equipment, yeah. and now it's like I have to make strategic changes in gear in order to keep going. Okay, so, uh, Matty, did you read it all about the, the story of where they got the name? No, no. Because it, it's Tell very cool. It. I don't want to spend too much time on it because sure. I feel like that's a rabbit hole we could get down because I'm a history guy. And, and you can also yeah. Google it. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what is, how did Dueling Grounds get its name? Okay. So, well. Uh, it's, it's on a compound called Lincoln Pinch Farm? No. No. No, no. no the original Lincoln Pinch Farm uh, was where the racetrack is. Okay. Okay. So you're going down 65, oh, okay. see the racetrack. Yeah, yeah. The racetrack, the driving movie theater, that whole area, that was Lincoln Pinch Farm. Um, we can't touch property in that area. We're about a mile or so away from there. I took the name Dueling Grounds because I was looking for something to, to, yeah, yeah. to for the place, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have a family history of yeah, yeah. distilling or moonshining or any of those things that people seem to rely upon. I'm just this guy that wanted to do this. And so <laughs> I uh, I was looking for some point of reference. And I first couple, honestly, I had a couple other choices in the beginning uh, that didn't either didn't kind of pass muster when I was talking yeah. to people about it, yeah, yeah. or when I did a little Googling, I thought, oh, it's going to be a conflict. I'm going to get sued. So I'll stay away <laughs> from that. So I looked at Dueling Grounds. The racetrack that stopped using Dueling Grounds years ago uh, had actually abandoned the trademark. And so I picked up the trademark and uh, thought it was a perfect. And it, it just gave. Did a, they have to sell it to you, or it's like no, no, it's, it's it's becomes public domain. Yeah, uh, and actually, there's other things like in my town. There's like a Dueling Grounds coffee, oh, and okay. this and that. And I'm cool with that because I think the more things that it sort of brands our little community with that, 
would be cool, right? Yeah. So I think it's good for me. So um, yeah, I don't know what tangent I was on, but yeah, that's that, that's kind of how it came. And then um, when we first started putting the bourbon together, we had developed the whole package, and we kind of had the package originally mo- mocked up as dueling grabs yeah. bourbon. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's okay. You know, yeah. I don't really love it. And I said, but the farm name where they actually fought okay, the duels so yeah, was, was, was Lincoln Pinch. Okay. And so I said, let's mock it up. Let's do the artwork and mock it up as Lincoln Pinch bourbon. And as soon as we saw it, it was like, yep, that's it. That's our name. So we're so, going to do um, People used to actually shoot each other. Yeah. It's like these facts. Yeah. This is not like some Western. No. People would come up and fight duels. Now, you know, the way I understand it is the duels were not necessarily, the point was not necessarily to kill your opponent. Yeah. It was to put enough of a hurt on them that they would never forget it. Yeah. And that and your honor would be restored. Although <laughs> in some cases it didn't work out that way. Yeah, I was about to say. And so some people just didn't quite make it through. Yeah. Uh, and, the, you know, the, the technology and the guns and everything was pretty primitive. They, people were actually making their own musket ball to put yeah. in their guns and stuff. This is all pretty much late 18, or, uh, not late, uh, 1825, yeah. 1827. That you said the, the, the notable one was... Uh, was For us was Sam Houston. Sam Houston, yeah. about the postmaster of Nashville. Right? Yep, yep. There was some kind of a dispute over the post, uh, the patronage position of the uh, Nashville postmaster, and it escalated. And you should say most of these people who fought duels were lawyers. Okay. Good. <laughs> Go figure, yeah. right? And it was kind of their way of... Uh, Settling out of court, you know, they would they would go up there and they would they would work it out. And um, there was another. I think the last one was in 1827. Yeah. And then the Tennessee Bar Association essentially stepped in and said, "Look, <laughs> if you don't stop this, you know, anybody's caught dueling, we're just going to disbar you. Yeah, You're yeah. going to lose your license." And that 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 fixed that. So okay, right there, that um, your, your uh, we'll say your intuition for business was the reason why you separated the name of the distillery from y'all's flagship product. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it, I, I like it, you know, yeah. it, it makes sense. It's just like a, uh, makes the story a little bit more yeah. complex, you know, it's nicer. There's two kinds of, there's two angles, um, and everybody wrestles with this. Uh, there, You can either be a, a branded house or yeah. a house of brands. Okay. And if you're a branded house, a uh, pretty good example of that would be Corsair. You know, they were here. All their stuff kind of packaged and looked the same, and they had different kind of hip names for each thing. But it was all instantly identifiable as Corsair. So what happened to them? Uh, they moved to Nashville. But they, they didn't go out of business? No. They just grew out of... They grew, well, it, the story behind them is that they, um, uh, they wanted to open, back whenever they opened that... The Bowling Green location was their first location. Downtown? Yeah. Yeah. And you couldn't get a craft distiller's license in Tennessee at that time. You would have had to pay the same thing that Jack Daniels pays, which was probably like $50,000 or something. And so they went to the closest place that they could to Nashville to set up shop that was wet, which happened to be Bowling Green. And, and Kentucky had lower licensing fees, yeah, yeah. so they could get a dec- they could get a license, and they could get set up. And to be honest, you know, Corsair was one of the leaders in the, is is one of the leaders in the craft movement. Uh-huh. I mean, they they were one of the very probably first ten or twenty around the country, certainly the first around here, and were one of the inaugural uh, sponsors of the craft bourbon trail. And it was kind of heartbreaking that they left. I really hated that they did that because. But they always, they, they always knew they had a business. Plan. I guess, yeah. yeah. I mean. But you, you know, mad at somebody for doing why that, would you, you know? move out of Bowling Green right yeah. when Bowling Green's popping? Right, yeah. it's just starting to happen. Yeah, and it's like now maybe their rent got raised, maybe there's things behind the scenes that I don't yeah. know. But I I hated to see them go because they were they brought an element of hipness to Bowling the Green. whole and, and to the whole. Well, see, we're all members of the Kentucky Distillers Association, okay. and so you sit in meetings sometimes with you know Bill Samuels from Maker's Mark and. And, and me, right? You know, about as far apart as you could possibly get. <laughs> yeah. And it's a really great bunch, and they're all really fun. But these guys just brought a little edginess to it yeah. that didn't that hasn't been. Copper and Kings has kind of stepped into that role. I think they're kind of you know they're kind of, they're everywhere. They're, they're, and they're and they're and they're they're cool guys and all like. So them. the brandy that they get, like, you, could you have brandies that just like pre bourbon, or is it a complete different spirit? Brandy and, and bourbon? Yeah, 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 they're completely different spirits. Completely different. Yeah. The other half, I was gonna say, I'll, I'll get back to it. But the other half is, is, or you could choose to be a house of brands. And in our case, we kind of fell into it. The first thing we came up with, we've evolved, right? So we had like their first couple products were kind of frontierish and looking, the Kentucky Clear, that sort of stuff. And we got ready to do the bourbon. It's like, I didn't want my bourbon to look like that. I want my yeah. bourbon to look like its own bourbon. And then, um, and to be honest with you, if at some point in time somebody with a deep, deep pockets wants to come and peel it off, Go ahead. Th- that's a way, you know, okay. that's a way you can do that without losing your company. Okay, so, th- that's anyway. a great uh, segue. Mm-hmm. Um, Lincoln Pinch. Now, do I say Lincoln Pinch bourbon or Lincoln Pinch whiskey? Bourbon. Bourbon, okay. Yeah. 
So Lincoln Pinch Bourbon is y'all's flagship product. Yeah. But that's not it. Y'all have, um, I saw a few other things. There was Junior, there was Ponser's Gramps. Yeah. Uh, but then there was uh, those were all made up names that, that our social media person came up with. <laughs> okay, yeah. So we got we got Kentucky Clear, which is the white dog, which is was that the first off. thing y'all made very money first off thing. of because yep. of the, the yep. how long it takes to make it. Or yep, the so very first thing we pulled off the still when we opened the door, we had Kentucky Clear and apple pie, which is basically taking the clear and putting in apple products and putting it out there. And you literally just put apples. We use um, well, I tell people all the time it's a it's apple cider, apple juice. Um, Cinnamon sticks and brown sugar. So, uh, can you control the amount of uh, sugar you have when you use something like uh, apple juice? Like, do you, do you have to know how much sugar you're putting in? Uh, no, I mean we 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 do a pretty tame mixture. Like most apple pies, if you've had them, they're really super sweet. Yeah. So we do fifty uh, percent spirit, fifty percent Kentucky Clear. Yeah. Then the other fifty percent is split between twenty five percent cider and twenty five percent apple juice. Yeah. 20 cinnamon sticks and one pound of brown sugar. Let it all let it all marinate and sit together for a while and done. Is, is, is the secret part to that the amount of time it sets or it's just... There's no secret. I tell people no all secret. the time. And one of the people, reason I tell people is because Kentucky Clear is this incredible spirit where you can really, it's really malleable and you yeah. really make things with it. So if you want to make a peach version of that or some other fruit so flavor... So it's good at taking on... Just use those, it's good at taking on flavors. Just use those kind of ratios and you'll make a really nice product. So... I, I I don't care if you buy my clear and make apple pie. You bought my clear. That's great. Yeah. I'm glad you did, right? Uh, and so the apple pie was just a way to kind of have a pre-made cocktail. Um, and we with the app with the clear, we infuse it all the time. We'll put lemon peel in there, orange peel. We'll put anise. We made like a, a faux uh, absinthe one time because okay. we were going out to an event. We couldn't. We had to use all our own stuff, so we made that. We'll put uh, cinnamon sticks, jalapeno, oh, nice. uh, habanero. Uh, we make a killer margarita with a habanero infused uh, clear. It's, it's just like, lime sour. Uh, just uh, yeah. Triple sour. Yeah. Yes. No. No mixes. Just everything from scratch. And then um, uh, you were at, and then we can't. So and then the next year we we're kind of looking for brand extension. So we started doing fruit liqueurs: blueberry, okay. strawberry, and blackberry. And those are just again, it's alcohol soaking fruit. And now are you, you said you're able to actually like we have you have local distributors for the. Those products all pretty much stay in our building. Yeah, we don't. That's we never cool. really tried to put them out there anywhere. They're not right for retail. It's like, really? Yeah, because honestly, retail. You've seen Purple Toad Winery. Yeah, because that's where my dad lives. It has like all. Oh, those I know. Flavors. They're all over the place. And and I and I did it but to I have mean, something. Wine, yeah, I did it to have something to sell uh, to people that didn't necessarily want a high proof spirit. Uh, so mom what and dad, the proof of the mom and dad come in uh, fifty. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they're a little sweeter. So mom and dad come in, and you know, one's into bourbon, one's into something else. Yeah. And so you got a little something to offer everybody. And we use them for mixers. And again, they were just another thing. It's like we were. It's getting close to Christmas. We got something to sell. Yeah. We need something new, something yeah. different. So we came up with that. I don't. Uh, they're okay. They're, they're. They're. I don't love making them. They're kind of nasty product. My heart's always been in the bourbon, but we had to get to the point of bourbon. Yeah. So the bourbon just came out December first, and of, just in, of last year. So twenty eighteen. Yeah, it's the first. So of you're years. coming up on on a year. Yep, and then we started distributing in March. Wow! So you guys, it's baby. You're totally. just starting. Yeah. You know, and I was just thinking about something like um, you were talking about how this Warren County was the the, the furthest south, uh, wet county. It was actually just a city. So, so oh yeah, yeah. I, I guess I think it still is actually. Um, so county Franklin, when did Franklin go? Well, that's, yeah, that's the other thing. Just like back in what six years, something like that. Mm -hmm. years. People don't think about that. Yeah, you know? and it's like yeah. I mean, one of the reasons there's not a lot of distilleries down this. Not that anybody has really said anything to me about. No, I've had. I have to say, it's been um, remarkable the amount of support. Like from the really? first minute I brought it up and said I wanted to do this, the I Christians wanted, didn't know. The other ones wanted to drink. Something. Yeah, right. Like, so, oh, you want to get? <laughs> you want Me too. I don't, I don't hang up on that. But what it was was I think everybody just looked at it and thought, well, this is a way to bring something different into the into the community. It's brought we brought a lot of tourists in. Oh yeah. And we're just getting started. And we've we we looking the other day. We think we did like five thousand people in the last twelve months. And most of those people were not from Franklin. Yeah. So that's people coming through who wouldn't know about Franklin otherwise. We send them to go eat lunch. We get that. Where can I go eat? So we send them to eat lunch. We send them to other places. We send them to other distilleries too yeah. in our area. I think at some point, as more and more counties are going wet, we will see more distilleries. I know of one that's going in in Adairville. 
okay. uh, which is not far away from here. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Russellville, and I can't, I can't believe there's not anybody yet back in Bowling Green. I think it'll happen. Well, I mean, it's Sean, a little more complicated here around here because the, the regulations are a little tighter. Yeah, we talked with Sean, and I mean, he's doing beer, but I mean, he even does his product in Alabama and has to get it distributed from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have the infrastructure here yet. Oh, he gets it made up off off site. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, okay, so. Um, you just, uh, one of my questions was I assumed these recipes and these ratios were like state secrets. No, it's common. I mean, like, is your ratio of like, okay, actually explain the difference between bourbon and whiskey. Whiskey is the overarching class. So okay. whiskey is spirits derived solely from grain, produced at under 160 proof, and barreled in an oak barrel. Doesn't always have to be a new barrel, just depends on what class so you're dealing So it's oak... Um, the proof, the proof, 160 or less, and the ingredient, and the ingredient, and the prime, and the primary feedstock. Isn't it, it like 51 percent or 50 percent? In corn? the case, in the case of bourbon, it is. Yeah. Okay. So, if it's, um, if it's, if the bourbon is 51 percent corn, if it's a rye whiskey, it's 51 percent rye. If it's a wheat huh. whiskey, it's 51 percent wheat. So whatever the general identifier is. And wheat whiskey is what? Uh, that's people who made made solely or predominantly from wheat. But I mean, is that more common, like uh, what an Irish whiskey? Irish and Scotch are mostly malted barley. Barley. Yeah, malted barley is probably the most used grain because yeah. barley is what we make beer out of, and barley is pretty much what all Scotch and well, it's definitely what all Scotch and uh, Irish whiskey, Canadian whiskey, yeah. all comes from barley. Barley is an incredibly plentiful source in many parts of the country, and there are many parts of the world, and there are malting houses all over the world, just not here. And uh, we chose corn because that's what we had. Yeah. Is that the reason? Yeah. yeah. The American uh, bourbon is the only spirit that has to be made in the United States. Can't be made anywhere else in the world. And part of it is because we grow a lot of corn. And yeah. people came up with this recipe early on to utilize all this corn and it became our thing. And so tequila has to be made in Mexico and scotch has to be made in Scotland. Yeah. And, uh, a bourbon has to be made here. So any kind of um, spirit is generally defined by its feedstock. So brandy is always made from fruit. Huh, I didn't okay. know that. Whiskey is always made from grains. Uh, rum always from uh, molasses and sugar cane. Tequila from agave. So the, the source material is what def- has, defines it, and in some cases the location. Tequila has to be made in Mexico. Yeah, and in a very specific part of Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people who are doing... Now you're seeing more... Uh, I know of a couple places around that are doing more mezcal spirits. Yeah, what or, is the difference mezcal is a little less uh, refined. It's okay. a little more of a primitive process. It's kind of like the difference between Geneva and gin. Uh, it's more the or, or moonshine and whiskey, you know. Moonshine but the is longest more uh, uh, tequila's age is what two years, and that's like a nail or something. No, I think they go longer. Do I don't they? know a whole lot about tequila, but other than uh, we'll occasionally do a tequila tasting. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think they go longer. Okay. And there's some tequilas being done in bourbon barrels now and stuff like that. Almost all scotch is aged in bourbon barrels. Old used Kentucky whiskey barrels. Really? Yeah. So, so they you all ship them over there. Yeah. So you get you only get one use in bourbon uh, on a on a barrel. So why is that? The barrel has natural characteristics and flavor characteristics that we associate with bourbon. Once it's been through that one cycle, you're not going to get a lot of that back. Okay. You can take a bourbon mash and put it back in a whiskey barrel, but you just it would just be a whiskey distilled from a bourbon mash. It would just be called a whiskey. Yeah, yeah. But a bourbon has to be a first use barrel. And then they like them for Scotch and, and Canadian whiskey because they're in a colder climate. They're using a barley spirit, which is fairly light, and they're going to age it for a long period of time. So they, the fact that it's been used once and some of that some of that harshness has been pulled out of the barrel, they can use. Especially yeah. love that you know a four or five year old barrel that then they get a Scotch into it almost immediately. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So what about <clears throat> your daily routine that you do? Do you think has been one of the biggest helps in having you be successful with what you're doing at DGD? Hmm. Interesting question. I um, I have like two things. Well, I have a couple of things that I do that are just basic things, right? Okay. I sort of live off of a list. I always have a paper. So you always have a to-do list. I have a paper to-do list. I've got it right here in my bag right here. I always keep it with me. How far out does it go? Week, uh, month? No, just a couple pages. And then, as I, and then as I scratch things off of it, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll start another one. Yeah. 
And then, of course, I, I use my email box like a bit of an inbox as well. And so I, you know, I'm always really religious about those kind of things. But so organization at the one level. And then um, I had a mentor years ago, like when I'm talking like teenager, who used to talk about a concept called rigid flexibility. And I always stuck with me. And rigid flexibility is the idea that you have a plan and you can see the plan, but that you have room in the plan for the plan to change. And so from that, I tend to spend a lot of time, like your mom might call it daydreaming, yeah. right? But that's kind of like a big part of my day. I will park myself somewhere, and I, I find that if I can like visualize what I want to have happen, yeah, and I just keep either talking about it to myself or talking about it to everyone around me yeah. ad nauseum, driving everybody crazy with it, I can kind of move myself in that direction. So I, I verbalize and process a lot of my ideas out loud, and I'll get feedback on them, or sometimes you'll hear yourself say it and go, yeah, that's not a very good idea. But but I always kind of like have this goal out here. Usually I have like one or two big goals that I'm trying to get to. And then the question is like, how do I get there? Um, in my work as a manager, you know, one of the things I preach all the time is like make the big decision. Where do we want to be in two years? And then all the little decisions will sort of fall in line. Yeah. Like what's what's the longevity path? Are we here to make a lot of money right now and get out? Or are we looking to be here 20 years from now? And what do we expect that to look like? Yeah. And then and how you make those decisions and how you organize yourself between here and there is important. So I think, I don't know, I think that's something I'm able to do yeah. is to like really look out over the horizon a good bit. And then I just live in that space pretty much all the time. You're talking about living the mental space of ha accomplishing that task. Uh, yeah, in my world, I, I always try to be, I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want this to come off the wrong way. I always try to be thinking as far out as I possibly yeah. can. And whether everybody else is with me or not, have some sort of point of view. And even if, it, like even I said when I was working with clients, sometimes, they would be right here because it's all in the moment. Like I just, I just want to pay my rent, and yeah. I'm thinking five years down the line, two years down the line, what does it need to look like? And um, that's probably the thing I do most than anything. You could, you will not. It's not unusual to catch me sitting in the tasting room or sitting out in the shop on a barrel for a half hour, just going, looking around. And it's just about thinking, how, what am I going to do? You know. And I like to have a next thing in front of me all the time. So like right now, it's all about. What expansion are we going to do? How are we going to increase our capacity? And what are the, and this time I want to take the steps so that in 10 years, like everything that else kind of falls into that, you yeah. know what I mean? So you build the infrastructure so everything else can fall in. And this one's, this the distillery, it's been probably, it's been the most challenging because it's the first time I've really had to think over that long of an archetype. You know, at first it was like seems like a long list. Yeah, at first I, at first I thought, oh, you know, a couple of years we'll have this licked, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you know, and it's, so it's constantly uh, reevaluating your priorities and doing it. So rigid flexibility, know where you're going, know what you want to do, have a plan, but always leave room in the plan for change. You know, I didn't ask you. Um, are you married? You have kids? Yeah, I'm married, no kids. Married, no kids. Yeah. Was the no kids a conscious decision? I was on the road all the time when I was young. Because kids are great. But yeah, motherfuckers will saddle you down. Yeah, right. Well, I was on the road all the time. Uh, my wife is also a very active person, has has a full-time career, lots of things going on in yeah. her life. and Because yeah, um, it's rare to find two adults who are okay with life. Yeah, I don't, it was not, it was like, we, we would we occasionally talk about it, you know, yeah. and be like, uh, yeah, nah, yeah. <laughs> so, Hard pass. Yeah, yeah. So it just was like, you know, it just never happened. We, yeah. weren't, we weren't, I, I think we'd have been great parents, but it just would have been a different life. And that's part of why, honestly, why I can do a lot of what I do is like I don't have those obligations and I'm able to do my thing. Okay, so do you have any recurring negative self-talk? Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, What's the, what, what are some uh, popular refrains you have? And then <laughs> what do you say to yourself to uh, drown those voices out? Well, I mean... You've been afraid of it, of it, of it being successful? Uh, oh, I'm not afraid of it being successful. Not at all. Fear of success is not, is not a problem for yeah. me. Uh, it's, you know, am I working hard enough? You know, am I being lazy? 
You know, because I mean, I I kind of sloth my way through. You know, if you looked at me, you'd say, "You guys are like working on." I feel that deeply, bro. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you know, but when you look, yeah. when you look up, and you say, after a week or two weeks, you go, "Oh yeah, I got this done. I got this done. I got this yeah. done." Uh, you know, social awkwardness and those kind of normal things. I think that's kind of everybody has okay. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, I. You, I look back and sometimes think, well, if I'd made different choices on the music side of things, maybe I'd be sitting on a giant pile of cash so wait, right are now. You, you, you're a musician? No, no, oh, no okay. from the management side, yeah. from the business side, of, you know. And but I've been in that business almost forty years. Like, at what time are you gonna be? Like, when's enough, right? Yeah. So I, I process that sort of stuff a little bit, but um, I'm not. I'm not a you know I'm not an early riser. I don't jump up. I don't just like get after it. You know what I mean? I kind of I tend to wear the rocks down as opposed to chiseling them away. You know, and I, I just take my time. That's a good one. And, yeah. Uh, okay, probably. so I wish I I wish I was a little health you know a little didn't raise much and a little healthier eater. <laughs> those kind of normal. I think that's everybody. I think everybody yeah, has those I agree. Things, yeah. Um, you uh, for for people who haven't met you or just listen to this, you seem very self assured. You know, you Thanks. have a you have a good you have a calm energy about it. Thanks. Um, it's not always my wife would argue. Like my wife would argue with you. Right now, she's listening. Like that. It's very good. Okay, so um, how do you deal with any doubt you've experienced in the past about whether or not you're making the right decisions? Sometimes you just got to live with it. You just got to sit in it. You just got to live in it. Just got to sit in it. And I mean, I'm, again, my lovely wife would probably you know would say, Jesus, yes, he lives with it. But <laughs> I uh, I take things to heart, and I you know I live with it, and you just. Sometimes you don't have to have the answer. That's the biggest thing I think that people need to know. Because sometimes the answer is no, and you don't want the no. So if you go get the no, then you got to overcome that. So sometimes it's just better to sit. Ask for forgiveness it. instead of permission. Yeah, you sit and live with it. And, and over time, uh, you'll figure it out. Okay, so you mentioned um, the craft bourbon trail. Yeah. And I didn't even pick up on that when I was doing when I was doing a little bit of research. Yeah. So there is a normal Kentucky Bourbon the Kentucky trail, Bourbon Trail. Yeah. And then there's a Kentucky Craft Bourbon Trail. Yeah. The Kentucky Bourbon Trail Craft Tour. It's a, it's a little bit of a mouthful, but uh, we are uh, closely associated. Uh, essentially run so by they're in the, the same, same building. Run by the same group of folks. Yeah. Okay. It's the Kentucky Distillers Association. The Kentucky Distillers Association. Do y'all both get the same amount of help, you think? Uh, yeah. I think yeah. we get a reasonable amount yeah, of support yeah. from them. I mean, look, we have one of, most states have a little guild of, and I don't want to demean it. <laughs> that's going to come off wrong. <laughs> they have a guild of people and they work very hard to get laws changed. We have a massive multi-billion yeah. dollar industry. It's weird because we have this conservative uh, streak in our state, but then we have this like this thing, yeah, behemoth, yeah, and billion and dollar industry, billions of dollars, and you have and employees, lots of yeah. people, lots yeah. of payroll, you know, all that kind of stuff, huge economic impact, and so that trade organization is an amazing uh, entity, and they they got to do the work of those big guys too. But they're very, very respectful to us. It was, uh, is my, the way I understand the story, Chris Morris, who's the uh, uh, head distiller or, or a master distiller at uh, uh, Woodford, okay. was the catalyst, you know, the, the, the voice. Who, when they were in their meetings, all the big guys sitting around, you imagine yeah. these guys are bourbon and 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 they're like, what do we do about these craft guys? You know, what yeah. should we do? And Chris, and Chris Moore said, bring them in. Yeah. Invite them in. Yeah. Let them join. Now, we don't have voting rights. I don't. I, I wouldn't give me voting rights yeah. either, right? It's going to be crazy, yeah. right? But within our... But it's kind of developed now that, that from from just like letting us in the door and here's the kids table to we have committees we have our own thing they how often do y'all meet how I mean you, you speak of this like it's a living breathing I mean how often do y'all meet I get emails on my inbox almost every other day oh wow uh, we the Kentucky Distillers Association and we are involved in uh, legislative lobbying which brings around a lot of the favorable uh, environment for, yeah. for bourbon uh, we have priorities each year they have there's a promotional side of things with the uh, with both the craft trail and the bourbon trail there's also um, you know different festivals and things that happen around the state and they're involved in all those in one in one form or another um, they have an entire area of uh, that is dedicated toward responsibility of all forms so it's oh. like we get very good guidance and best practices on how to avoid uh, over serving people 
how to avoid uh, chewing up natural resources or polluting our waters. And is there was something recently? What happened recently? Oh yeah, well, you got oh, the yeah. Jim Beam warehouse collapsed, and it's an older warehouse yeah, that yeah. was caught fire. And the bourbon that ran out of that is is in the in the water. And that's all it was that got in the water. And they're saying it's, it's poison. It's killing. It's 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 it, it robs the fish of the oxygen. It's a huge fish kill. And they're gonna pay a healthy fine for that, oh, wow, as they really? should. But uh, but that's part of the nature of such a big industry that's been here for so long. Some of these warehouses are old, and and to modernize every warehouse would be an incredibly burdensome task. And I think they're, they're talking about it now because there was some recent collapses. And I'm sure at that upper level, they're, they're talking about, like, well, how do we improve this? Because they don't, they don't want to lose property. I was about to say, they don't want to pay that fine. I'm sure it's going to Oh, you're talking about a $40,000, 40,000-barrel warehouse. You do the math. It's like, well, how much does the barrels cost and how much does the product cost? Yeah. And even at scale, you're talking millions of dollars of bourbon going down down the waterway. So they don't want that either. They want to make sure that the stuff's taken care of. Yeah, at least we're not flint. Yeah, so yeah, right. So and anyway, within the uh, Distillers Association, it's kind of now become we have a we have an annual meeting at the yeah. end of the year. There are what they call best practices meetings. Usually there's a front of house best practice and a technical best practice spring and fall. And then uh, we do events together and then the craft group usually meets one or two times on its own. And, and makes decisions. And so that's how the craft tr uh, tour, the Kentucky Bourbon Trail craft tour, went from something that was fairly small in 2012, I think is when it started, to now they've really upped their game. And this year... Because y'all had separated into four regions. Right? Yeah, see, that's what they did. This year it got to be more more uh, distilleries. They separated into four divisions. So it hadn't been four, and hopefully it'll become, you know, ten. Maybe, yeah. Um, so if you do... We're the further, you're the furthest south, right? Correct. And the furthest west... No. Who else is? Uh, west of us, you've got uh, M.B. Rowland, uh, Paul and Mary Beth. You've got... Um, Where are they? Uh, they're Pembroke, um, around Clarksville, North Clarksville. Okay. Uh, you've got... Because um, uh, there's only... Casey Jones. Uh, Casey Jones is in Hopkinsville. I like that name. Yeah. Uh, Arlen Jones, is uh, his, his grandfather was named Casey Jones, and his grandfather was a shiner. And they've got a farm out there, and they've taken that farm and done really cool things with it. They've built they built out some distillery. They've got a big porch, and he makes shines. Yeah, Hopkinsville is west. Yeah, okay. he makes yeah. shines uh, in a. It's like a it's a what they call a pickup truck. Yeah, still, and it's a copper still that's made to fit inside of a pickup truck. So you could outrun the revenueers if you had to, and uh, so he's still got he's got an authentic you know version of that, and he makes his own. Chocolate. Oh, very so cool. Those are those are the ones that are west, but within our region, it's 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 us three, and then a guy uh, Boundary Oak, which is up near Fort Knox. Um, because I saw saw on the on your old Instagram, uh, somebody just completed the first Kentucky craft. Uh, bourbon Trail, and you guys get a coin at each stop, yeah? Yeah, each each of the four um, uh, regions, when you complete the region, you get a challenge coin. When you finish the final one, you get a barrel stave that is bored out with four holes for the challenge coins to go in, yeah. and a tasting glass. And the tasting glass completes your bar. So it's kind of like, I mean, the old uh, uh, award used to be like just a, a glass, something yeah. simple. Yeah. And now that they went, you know, that they stepped it up to twenty different distilleries, they've added all this stuff. So I mean, if you finish the trail, you've got this nice barrel. That is very on. cool. I mean, it's a really cool thing to put on yeah. your bar, you know. And if you're a bourbon head, that's kind of a cool thing to have. So we we are. It looks like we'll probably be like either the first or in a lot of cases the last stop yeah. for a lot of people on a trail, just because because of where we are. We are southernmost on I-65. We are the closest distillery to Nashville. Yeah. And that's a nice advantage because um, if you're sit people come into Nashville for a week and they want to touch soil in Kentucky and go to a distillery, Perfect. boom, we can do yeah. it. And then we get a lot of people who are up this way and they're going to um, Mammoth Cave, hitting the Corvette Museum. They're here for three or four days and they, again, they kind of Google it and they find out that we're here and they want to come in. I mean, we, we most of our traffic comes from Yelp and that kind of stuff. We did actually do a billboard this year. Which is you did? Fun. Yeah, on I-65. Six, it's, it's hard to beat that. Yeah, it's eyes. like, yeah, it's, like it's, a, a it's not even that well placed, but damn, I'll tell you, we get a lot of people walking, oh, yeah. I saw your billboards. Yeah. Like, cool. Sometimes okay. the old ways still work. Another cool thing we've seen out of Dueling Grounds Distillery is the music side. 
Now, yeah. I didn't know that you had this huge his, your your background was in music. I would call it huge, but it was it was successful. Well, okay, so because I I'm friends with the uh, and Matt is friends with a girl named Tessa Norris, and she had yeah. a food truck yeah. at one of y'all's uh, yeah. events. Yeah. Um, what do y'all do? Like, uh, y'all have acts how often? It's it's kind of as we feel like doing it. Okay, so uh, it, it's not like a summer series or anything no. like that. Okay, I didn't. I've, again, I've watched some of my colleagues kind of marry themselves to that sort of thing, yeah. and now it's like a boat anchor. They got to do it all the time. I want to do it when I want to do it. Yeah. I want to do it when a band I like wants to do it. I don't want to have to be in a situation where I got to book a band because I got to come up with four things. It's like I got other things to do. Yeah. So. Um, you know, if the Josephines say, hey, man, can we do a show at your place? Hell yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Damn, you know? yeah. Let's do it. Uh, and that's kind of the way it's been. And this year, I mean, the only thing we have on our books right now is we have uh, we have the uh, Not Quite Oktoberfest. Uh, <laughs> Wait, which, is that in September? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, and and it's honestly it's only it's because that's the day we could get the Oompa band, you know? so because uh, they were booked uh, the rest what of the time. Were they based out of Nashville? Yeah, yeah, we had them last year for an October. It actually and kicks off their them. season. Well, for yeah, we had gotten them to them before the Germantown uh, people, you know, the big Germantown festival, and and they they gave up a booking in Germantown to come play us, and there I was like, that's class, right? Yeah. So we're having them back this year, and uh, but we had to do it in September. So the official date will get announced, but it's like it's not quite October yeah. first yet. So uh, favorite uh, musical act you've had so far? Uh, I don't want to play favorites, but I'll tell you too. I I love the, uh, uh, the that one, the Oompa band. The Josephines <laughs> was a blast, yeah. and then the Thrashing Fossils. You know these right. guys? No, I do not. Uh, they're, they're all Bowling Green musicians. They're a little older guys. Okay. They've been around a long time. Thrashing Dust, Fossils. They have Thrashing Fossils, but they're guys who've been involved in the, the BG scene for years, and they kick ass. Okay. They're really, really good. Very good. We'll yeah. check them out. Yeah. Um, all right. So we all play different roles in life, right? Yeah. And we're almost done. I'll let you go. No, no, fine. Um, so what is the best advice you can give someone in the three roles you play? Now, I want entrepreneur, distiller, and husband. Well, the husband part I'm still working on. I, I, I don't know. I, I do what I can there. Um, the um, I think as an entrepreneur, probably, I had a lot of people in the world tell me, like, well, you can't do that. Yeah. I was like, bullshit, I can't do that. Of course I can do that. I may not be able to do it at the level that you think I should do it at. Yeah. But I can do it at my own level, and I can grow it from there. And I do believe in the sort of power of bootstrapping and not being in debt and just kind of doing things a little bit at a time. Man, when I decided I was going to be a lighting designer, yeah. I just started calling myself a lighting designer. People people <laughs> bought that shit. <laughs> yeah. And it turned out I was good at it. You yeah. know, I just learned how to do it. And in this day and age with, with uh, YouTube, you can learn how to do anything. Yeah. Um, For real, though. So I think uh, the things that I've done as a, as, a, as a builder have been to keep it uh, – Keep it simple. Uh, try not to incur a lot of debt. Um, I've tried a lot of different things, and you know, as I got into them, some things I got into, and I realized ah, I don't really want to do this, you know, and not being afraid, you know, what, not being afraid to say I don't want to do it. Yeah, because I don't have so much invested in it that I can't couldn't walk away. And even this thing, I've made very sure that, like, for my investment, what I've put in, if I needed to tomorrow, I could sell my equipment, sell my whiskey, and I'd be just fine. You know, okay. I've got we got whiskey in the in, I've got a warehouse full of whiskey. You know, how many people have that, right? And that's starting from just from scratch. And so uh, there's that. As far as a distiller goes, I mean, it. it we didn't really get into the science side at all. Yeah, I mean, the, the distilling thing is like, it's like learning. It's like playing chess, right? Okay. You can learn the rules really simply, but but being good at it just takes time. And everybody, that's the fun part about it is everybody has a different take on it. Like for me. It may sound boring, but I wanted to make the first thing I wanted to do, and it kind of was just to prove it to myself that I could do it, was to make a classic bourbon, a good classic bourbon, because it's hard to do. How many times, how many failed? Uh, oh, God. Yeah, a lot. A lot? Uh, a lot, yeah. We, we, we had a lot of trial and error and a lot of stuff that just tasted terrible and then <laughs> sort of slowly backed into it and kind of, oh, well, this is good, you know. And, Can and you reuse like product that you just shit recipe you don't like it can you somehow eh, if it's got off flavors in it plus we were working gotta remember we were working at that point in five and ten gallon batches so it didn't matter you just throw just throw it away yeah and um you would uh sometimes you would never get past the mash phase you know you'd just be cooking it and it'd come out and you'd be like oh this, this is scorched this tastes yeah. this tastes crappy i don't, I don't even want to distill it 
And then uh, as the recipe kind of started to come in, and then I backed into some things. There's some things I did that were just complete accidents that if I knew better, I probably wouldn't have done them. But now that I've done them and they're part of my deal, I'm not going to change them. Yeah. And uh, being, you know, just kind of being cool with that. Uh, and you just got to chart your own course. Like well, most people, a lot of people who start who want to do the bourbon thing, or I should say the whiskey thing, they'll start off doing moonshines and that kind of stuff. They'll age in six in five gallon or ten gallon barrels, little bitty barrels, and they'll kind of come up with a really fast product in six months or so, and, and that's fine. It's, yeah. it's, there's a lot of people who've done it, and then over time, try to work their way into a two year old, three year old. You think bourbon. that is a uh, exercise of needing to pay the banknote? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's an idea to get cash flow going, and, and so, so we didn't, this, we, we didn't have, empl- I didn't have employees yeah. at the beginning. It was just me, right? You know, so you're just doing it, and you're doing it on your weekends. You're doing. It. I got my licenses, and I'm just back there knocking it out. Yeah. First year, it took me a whole year to fill two 25 gallon barrels. You know, wow. so it's like it took time, and uh, but then you know now that I have like it's just recently that I can actually look sit back and say that I have a bourbon program. A lot of times you go to distillery tours, and I've seen this in other places, where they're walking you through their moonshine and their gin and their this and their that. And by the way, we have a bourbon program. And it's like, and they don't really get into it. And it's yeah. like, now my bourbon program has been front and center since day one. Because that's, to me, the hardest alligator to wrestle. Yeah. Let's get that down. And if we get that down, then we can do the other stuff. And I, I went straight to big barrels and every little barrel. So I, I took, I literally decided to do it the hardest possible way I could do it, right? Just because it's, because it's there, right? It's Everest. Let's just do it. And and I'm not, and again, it's that rigid flexibility thing. It's like, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. And so and I don't want any distractions. I don't want anything kind of messing me up. I just kind of go to this. And now that we're there, I kind of, my brain is starting to open up. Not that we're done, done, but it's yeah. like I can see that path. Now there's a lot more openness <clears throat> to doing some other things. And I brought in a guy who has a, a, a long background in um, in distilling and because that's that a, that, like I've and heard, he's he's got some vision. You know? They have programs at, at our state's universities, mm-hmm. don't they? That, yep. that are just specifically learning the science of distillation, fermentation and distillation. Yeah, um, I think it's more fermentation. There there are more there are more things like that coming up in the northern part of the state. Um, Western had a, a brewery program. I heard, yeah, but I've thought, I think it's yeah. I think it's gone away. I'm not sure, which is kind of too bad because they built a really nice little brewery. Did they? Over in the Innovation Center, yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, okay, so uh, we have a couple, two more questions. Yeah, take your time. Th- 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 this is the big one. Okay. Three favorite bourbons. Why? Oh, yeah, I can't do that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give me, give, give me, a, give me a, a, a top five list, other uh, than Dueling Ground, other than Lincoln Pinch. Well, you know, one or, of the things... What, are, what do you look for? Yeah, one of the things that, okay. uh, that I think is important about... The Kentucky Distillers Association is we we compete with each other on the shelves. We do not ever compete with each other in the you know this yeah. is better than that or this is trash or whatever. No, yeah. if if you have an opinion like that, leave keep it to yourself because give people time. Yeah, that's the thing yeah. about it. Give people time. They'll, I like it. Just give it alone. Uh, so on my back bar, I have I have like my back bar and I have all my stuff on the first shelf and I have two shelves above it. And the two shelves above it are predominantly populated with craft bourbons from my fellow craft distilleries from Very around the cool. state of Kentucky. And I inc- we have a flat price. It's a certain amount, you know, like we have most of the bourbons on that shelf are six bucks an ounce. And we have a little handful of things that cost me a little more that we, that we charge 10 bucks an ounce. Yeah. So you can come in there and you can try anything from around the state. And I'll talk to you about like, well, I'm, this one, I'm into this one right now, I'm into that one right now. Uh, I have personal relationships and friendships with MB Rowland. Because uh, their proximity. Uh, their proximity. Uh, Limestone Branch, which is a, a branch of the Beam family, Steve Beam and Paul Beam. They have a brand called Yellowstone. Um, I uh, Royce Neely, who has Neely family up near up in the northern part of the state near the Speedway. Um, uh, Brent Gooden at Boundary Oak. Um, and part of what I love to talk to people about is like yeah this is my uh, this is this my, is my friend. friend yeah uh, uh, wilderness trail uh, they built they're an amazing company they they start off in fermentation and, and when uh, you say fermentation we're talking wine yeasts, or beer yeasts yeast okay. and yeast science uh, these guys are literally an engineer and a rock and a, and a and a phd in chemistry 
and they have they are masters of the art of fermentation yeah and they give classes on it, give seminars on it I've taken them and they had a company for a long time that was essentially a service company for people who were fermenting whether it be fuel alcohol or or beverage alcohol and it would be uh, troubleshooting um, you know process engineering helping you build your plant all that yeah. kind of stuff they had they built their business around that and they had this little like kind of like 200 gallon setup kind of like what I got and since that time, in just a few years I've known them, they've built two massive column stills, and they built this place from the ground up, like a brand new facility from the ground up. And they built brand new warehouses and everything. And that's where our stuff is stored as well. Oh, and, wow. And, I, and they have been like, if I got a question, all I got to do is shoot them an email, and I get an answer. And it's like, and this is information that, you know, it's like these guys went to college for, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're happy to share it, and I'm a good customer to them. But I, I those guys are great, and I always try to get people to try their stuff, and that's called uh, um, Wilderness Trail. So your favorite bourbons are the ones that you I have, have a personal connection to, yeah. Yeah, As I, like a, that. yeah I like to, I want to support them, and... Uh, we love to take the little tour book when people come in and sort of point out, oh, I've been to this one, I've been to this one, and then if they've been to one we haven't been to, I get to ask them questions about it. Stuff. Is there so some is, I haven't hit? Is Pappy the most expensive? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, is there anything secret that they do other than having heritage that makes it better than any other bourbon? You know, Buffalo Trace is not a member of the Kentucky Distillers Association. That's the oldest distillery in the country, right? But I, it's I'm, not. I'm not sure if it's, it's the, not oldest. the oldest brand. Definitely not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's the oldest. It might be. But it is a really cool facility. They're not members of the Kentucky Distiller Association, so screw them. Yeah. Uh, but, no, I love Buffalo Trace. I think that they make really, really good stuff. Uh, Wait, was, so is Pappy made? It's Buffalo Trace. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pappy's makes, uh, uh, Buffalo Trace makes, you know, your Buffalo Trace. They make your Pappy. They have WL, the Weller, which is like the big thing right now. It's kind of becoming the new scarcity. Those guys are masters. Of the of, of like putting just enough out there to get it scarce and then backing it off. They have really innovative programs as far as barrel aging. So are you ever gonna have like a twelve year? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Oh, Lincoln Pinch twelve year baby. Yeah, my uh, one of my aspirations is to have a ten year old bourbon on my sixty fifth birthday that I <laughs> that I made. So yeah, so that's, good. that's good. So yeah, I mean right now we are our predominant product is two year old, and then we have a. On you know a, a plan on paper uh, you know set up to eventually uh, move from a two year old to four year old and four year old is going to be the standard and the four year old be the standard and then uh, and I kind of like that because it's like if we create enough two year old there's a lot of people who are who have who have I've signed bottles for who have put it on their bars and they'll buy another bottle or whatever to drink because I tell them that's the deal you can't yeah just, you can't yeah no, right but uh, but they uh, they'll have those as collectors items because when that sun sets into the four year old then this that'll be what's left and and then we'll have some ten year old at some point and we'll, we'll just go on from there I don't see us having the resources to go more like four year old will probably be a pretty good solid product for us and then if we, a few barrels that go older but it probably would be this year we got a couple hundred bottles of this, and this year we got a couple hundred bottles of this. But back to Buffalo Trace, they they do this incre- they do these little releases of uh, of ex- all kinds of experimental batches. Uh, they've had what they call an orphan barrel series, where they bought some barrels that like were kind of found, and, yeah. they, and they put those out. They do barrel experiments where they'll cut they'll you know they'll go take wood from a place, and they'll they'll literally say, well, does the barrels from this side of the mountain age differently from the barrels of this side oh, of the mountain. I mean, cool. they'll really dig down into it, and that's, yeah. that's kind of their shtick. Um, but I wish they would be members of this bourbon. Yeah. Uh, the, Why they have to be so cool? The Distillers know? Association. Yeah. Because, yeah, they would be. I think they were at one point for whatever reason. Yeah. Left. I don't know. So, uh, Lord Booty Sweat. Um, <laughs> who should we uh, Who should we have on Locally Yours next? I mean, you have, a, you you have fingers in the Your Rolodex is, is deep. Man, who should you have on next? You should get in here. There's like three or four ladies you should get in here all together. Um, Amy Ellis from the Renaissance. Brownie Bennett from the Arts Council. Lisa Devers from the Art Gallery. Tammy Carey from the City. I'm trying to think who else I'm missing out of that group. Those, these are all Simpson County gals? They're all Simpson County people, and they run these organizations. And between them, they are the force that brings us the 
the concerts on the square every every uh, Friday in the summer. The uh, this art gallery, which is amazing, little art gallery that's been going on in Franklin for years. Uh, the all the community plays, all this kind of stuff. But they really have got it down. And then Tammy works with the city side, and I've been working with them a lot on the the bicentennial thing in Franklin. I'm part of that committee, and I just enjoy so watching. So how old them. the city is? 200 years. Uh, the county was 200 years this year. The city's 200 years next year. So we have a year-long celebration. Oh, very cool. See, um, Michelle and David Webb uh, from Black Sheep Cafe are um, a lot of fun, and there's a lot of energy there, and like some of the more entrepreneurial people that I've come across in Franklin. Uh, they just they're really fun to watch. They're really. I mean, they already had a full-time restaurant, right? That was doing pretty good, and they just bought a food truck. And I'm like. Do you guys not have enough to do? You know, yeah. that's like God bless them. They're out there just killing it. Yeah, uh, I'd have to think about others, but those 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 are really interesting people. And our square, you know, it's like you know, you got to bring this down sometime to the square. We'll set you up somewhere yeah. and get you three or four different people to come yeah. through because our square is kind of on fire. Right. Really? There, well, I shouldn't say it that way. That's <laughs> there's literally <laughs> rules in this. Yeah, yeah. That's not, let me back it up. No, it uh, it. But there's no fire. So far, uh, but the um, the level of investment in the last five or six years has really jumped on the Franklin Town Square. People are buying up buildings, renovating them, and putting businesses into them. And for a long time, we were just like any other small town, where a lot, not a lot was happening yeah. on the square. And you now you're seeing a pushback. You have you have smaller boutiques, you have restaurants. Obviously, these things come and go, but the fact that there's a culture yeah. there. To, to, to make it try to, to try to make it go I think it's pretty pretty cool you know and that's one of the things I like we've been a lot of times people have asked us about being on the square and as as fun as that sounds I think with a, yeah. yeah I think with all of our trucks and grain cooking and all that kind of stuff, I think we're best off where we are yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. out there on the out there on the sharp edge of town well uh, mark with the C yeah it's been a pleasure I, I really want to thank you again for your willingness to work with our schedules it's oh yeah a, means a lot to us yeah. and uh I love some of the people you've had on, so when I researched it, I was like, oh, yeah, I want, I want to be in that company. Yeah, yeah very good. good. Cool, cool. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you.